After 27 years, I think that we can say that God has been faithful. What a faithful God we serve, amen? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, take your Bible, turn over to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, we're going to end our series on never settling. We've been talking about never settling for a while now. That's our theme for this year, never settle. And so um, we're going to touch on that, and I'm going to address some issues today that I believe are things that are important, that are very important as we close this down. Now, uh, 
We find in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, our, basically our, our theme verse for this year, uh, along with our theme, is found here. The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 9 of 1 Chronicles, it says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, that thou, mightest, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Well, we began starting off talking about how important it was that Jabez had a heart for God. And boy, how essential that is in our lives. And, and boy, we kind of finished up after a while addressing some of the characters of the Bible, and we came to Caleb, who we said is determination. We've got to be determined. We have to have a heart for God, and we must be determined. If we're never going to settle, those two kind of really play such a vital and important role. And we noted a number of other qualities and characteristics that we needed if we're never going to settle. We said that just the high ideals, the elevated personal expectations, the pursuit of excellence that used to embrace most people that seem to be a characteristic and a quality in our country even, it seems that it's been replaced with apathy or laziness and even lethargy. And boy, I'll tell you what, it seems today that mediocrity is kind of par for the course. We've been programmed, it seems, to accept less than perfect, to accept good instead of the best, to be content with just simply getting by. He said that our perfect Savior will only be truly happy with a perfect effort. We can't settle for just doing well. We can only be really happy with doing our best. We can't settle for just making it. We, have to, we can only really be happy when we reach our full potential. We can't be content with mediocrity. Never settle, we said. See, we may, never, we, we, we may never settle personally or professionally, but what about spiritually? He said, we don't want to settle in our spiritual life either. We give our best to our professional careers. We give our best to our personal lives maybe, but what about our spiritual lives? How important is that? that we never settle in any of those areas, personal lives, professional lives, or spiritual lives. F.B. Meyer said, let us be inspired with a holy ambition to get all that God is willing to bestow. Never settle. See, in a generation that seems to settle more and more often, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can never settle. I suppose that if we want to kind of relate that to or kind of connected to the ministry. There's a point in our ministry where we could, we, we could have settled for things. We could have chosen to do things maybe second class instead of first class. We could have chosen not to knock the doors we knocked, not to go after the children on the buses, not to be aggressive about winning souls. We could have chosen to settle on some things. But may I say that nothing great happens in your life, in your ministry, in your home, in your family, in your marriage, if you simply settle. We can't do that. Today I want to consider this thought, the benefit of never settling. And that benefit is no regrets. No regrets. I want to talk to you today about regrets. See, all of us, to some degree or another, feel regret over choices we've made, over things we've said or done or opportunities we've missed. Some 
of the more common areas are reflected in some studies that have been done through the years. And some of the major regrets that people feel, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, I've got them listed. Let me give you a couple. They wish that they'd been more loving to the people who matter the most. They wish that they'd been a better spouse, a better parent, or a better child. People wish that they had not spent so much time working. They wish that they had taken more risks. They wish they'd been happier and enjoyed life more. They wish that they had lived their dream. They wish that they had taken better care of themselves. Anybody have any old injuries? Boy, they hurt now, don't they? They wish they had done more for others. They wish they had chosen more meaningful work for their life. These are just some of the main ones that are often alluded to when people go and survey other folks concerning regret. We could even be more specific and we could even be more practical and pointed. And if we want to be, we need only look at the areas that you and I have addressed over these last weeks. We said that we could never settle for a good marriage, but we ought to uh, only uh, settle for a great marriage. Never settle for good kids, we said, when you could have godly kids. We said never settle for a successful ministry, but strive for a supernatural one. We said never settle for being an ordinary Christian, but an extraordinary Christian. Boy, I'll tell you, when we settle in the area of marriage or settle in our child rearing or ministry or our Christian life, there will be regrets, no doubt about it. Never settle for regrets. Never settle for those. And how you never settle for regrets is that you never settle. So I want to talk to you today a little bit about regret. I want to talk about overcoming regret because the bottom line is that we all face it to some degree or another. And I want to talk to you about how to avoid regret. So let's take just a few minutes and do that this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. We trust that you'll bless us this 27th anniversary. Lord, uh, nothing's changed in 27 years. People are still people. There's still plenty of needs to go around. There's hurt. There's heartache. There's disappointment. But, Lord, we thank you that your presence has always been with us. And for the believer, he will always be with them. We're so grateful that you never leave us nor forsake us. That you are still there for us. And you continue to meet our needs in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. Bless this service. And Lord, may we that believe in the name of the Lord, that we that have put our personal faith and trust in Christ, may we grow today and learn something that will help us to be better for you. And Lord, for the person who has yet to receive and accept Christ, may they come to the place where they acknowledge and recognize their sin before a holy God and their need to receive and accept his sacrifice on Calvary as payment for their sin. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So overcoming regret. Again, some people live with regret more than others. That's just a reality. Past decisions, overlooked opportunities, dashed dreams, bad choices, all of those things culminate to equal regret. We can all point to events in our lives or times in our lives when we said or did the wrong thing or if we failed to face it and deal with it properly. We most often, in those cases, bear the regret. 
How do we overcome and deal with it then? Well, first of all, number one, it's a real long point. Face the reality that the past is in the past, and no matter how much you want to go back and get a do-over, that'll never happen. I don't know about you, but I used to like playing pinball. And boy, I tell you what, you'd be playing pinball, you'd get all fired up and everything. You know, you know how it was, you kind of used your hip to kind of pop into that thing, kind of get that ball to bounce off of those levers better. But every once in a while, you get too aggressive with that machine, and all of a sudden it goes, tilt. And it shuts down completely, you lose the ball, and guess what? You regret it. But there's no going back. You don't get another extra ball. It's like, a, well, you got a mulligan. It doesn't work like that when it comes to pinball. Once you lose the ball, it's over. Guess what? you got to clear your mind and move forward from that point. We have to face the reality that the past is in the past, and no matter how much we want to go back and get a do-over, that's never going to happen. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, a familiar passage, the Apostle Paul, preaching to the Philipp- in Philippi, says to them, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not going to dwell on the past. I can't allow it to consume my life. Whether it be those good things that I thought brought me righteousness or whether it be those things that I look at as disdainful and evil, and wicked. I will not give the devil opportunity to use it to hold me back, to slow me down, or to keep me from achieving and accomplishing what God's called me to do. And you know what? Regret will, it'll paralyze you. You're going to have to face the reality. The past is in the past, and no matter how much you want to go back and get a do-over, ain't happening. Number two, it goes along with that one. Stop living in the past then, but rather address the present. You have to address the present. See, you can only correct what you control. This is an important point. You can't change what you don't control. Listen, you don't control the past, therefore you can't change it. And you don't control others, therefore you can't change them. You only control the present and yourself. Therefore, take charge of today. Stop wishing and start working. Is that without overcoming regret? Yeah. Stop wishing things were different and start working, changing it. That's all. And don't leave God out of the equation. Please go to God and ask God, what do you want me to do to correct the situation? If I can do anything to correct the past, if I can do anything to affect the past in a positive way by acting today, I'll do what I can today because I can't change what happened then. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. Stop living in the past, but rather address the present. Number three. This is an important one. Stop comparing yourself with others. We're talking about overcoming regret. Listen, don't spend too much time comparing yourself with others, or I promise you, you're going to feel regret. Man, we live in a generation where everybody has access to everybody's business. It used to be that your business was your business, and if there was a, a, you know, some kind of, 
busybody that was running around trying to put their nose in your business, at some point you'd say, hey, keep your nose out of my business. But you know what we do today? We put our business on Facebook. We put our business on social media. We share with the world our business. Can I tell you something? A lot of times what we share are just simply mirages. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about wonderful, beautiful couples that look so pristine and pure. They look so gorgeous and handsome together. And they get out to dinner and they say, oh, look how wonderful my husband is. Look how wonderful my wife is. Look how beautiful she looks today. Look how gorgeous this is. They were so happy together. Three weeks later, they're divorced. (laughs) And you're over there watching this, observing this, thinking, wow, I sure wish my wife dressed up like that. And she's thinking, I sure wish my husband considered me and took me to a nice place for dinner like that. I sure wish that our marriage was better like their marriage is better. And we start comparing ourselves to others. And then we go, boy, I sure regret marrying that thing. (laughs) Wow. You lose the name and it's a thing. I'm telling you, you better be careful with this comparing yourselves. Hey, don't focus your attention on the accomplishments of others or you're going to feel regret. Oh boy, I just hit, I made a million, I made made 10,000 in the stock market today. Well, you just lost 10,000. I regret this. Well, you would regret that. I remember years ago, I bought into a timeshare. Yeah, pastor, you know, real pinching pennies and careful with his money. Man, I got in there and I was going to control the situation, the environment. I got turned and twisted every way you can imagine. And before it's over, I'm writing a check. Man, I'm going to go on vacation every year, same place, beautiful place. Man, it's going to be awesome. Three bedroom, perfect place. I mean, at the beach, it's going to be lovely. It's going to be gorgeous. I can't wait. Oh, man, it's cool. It's only $600 a week, maintenance fees, 600 bucks for a place that's easily 1000 a week. Man, it's going to be awesome. And a hurricane came. Wiped out the island. They raised my fees from 600 to 900 the very year I bought it. And then I got online and I decided to use it. Guess what? There's no availability. When I use it, I said, I'm going to come in May every year. Oh, that's perfect. That's before the high season. You'll be able to get in anytime you want. There's always availability then. Perfect. (laughs) Didn't happen. Oh, you think, oh, wait a second. It doesn't end. So I, after a few years, figured, well, this is a mess. I'm going to go talk to somebody about it. I end up going down there and talking to them, and I walked out with more. (laughs) Oh, this time it's going to be wonderful. This time I got it figured out. Oh, I mean, I've got it in writing, baby. It's going to be better than ever. For just a little bit extra money, I can have all the rest of this. And boy, guess what? You can go to dinner tonight with your family. We'll give you a $50 gift card. Can I tell you that I end up having to create, I came this close to creating my own website to shame them in order to get my money back. They gave me money back. 
But I regretted the 10,000 I lost. And I'm adding up all of the potential money I could have had if I would have got to use it the way I wanted, of course. But I lost thousands of dollars. You say, you're an idiot. (laughs) And I would say, absolutely. (laughs) Now, not everybody's experience is my experience. I get that. But I'm telling you, I regret that decision. But I have since come to the conclusion that, you know what? I guess I'm not as savvy as I thought. I guess I'm not as sharp as I imagined. I guess I better learn from my mistakes instead of live a life of regret. I will still go back to one of those, but I will not take any checkbook or credit card or pencil or pen. My wife won't let me go, but either way, if I did get to go, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Regret. Hey, listen, we, and you know what? I just wanted to live like the jet set. I wanted to be living in these beautiful condominiums for at least one year and to just enjoy life for a change. Well, we compare ourselves to people. We get in trouble. We want things that are out of our wheelhouse. We can get into trouble. And if you've got one of those things and it's working for you, good for you. It didn't work for me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We think about comparing ourselves with others. I ended up having to hire a, a guy out on the West Coast, and he ended up, you know, throwing a lawsuit against him. And I didn't have to go to court or anything like that, but I had this website thing all figured out. I was going to shame them to death. I, was gonna, I started a campaign calling them all the time. I mean, it was on. It took a while, but I got my money. Wow, that was rough. That was back before this stuff's popular. Everywhere you turn now on radio and the news, everybody's got to, you know, you can get out of your timeshare now, no problem, right? Because they lie to a lot of people. But anyway, you know, you got to be gullible like me to mess up. Now, maybe you did a wise move. I didn't. Okay, looking at this, stop comparing yourself with others, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, chapter 10, verse 12, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You're not wise if you're comparing yourselves among yourselves. You look at somebody in the church, you think, man, they've got a nice house. Oh, they got a nice car. I wish I had that. I regret not buying that car. I regret not doing this. I regret, my life isn't what theirs is. And we got regret and regrets and we're no longer content. It's a mess. Stop comparing yourself with others. You'll feel regret if you start doing that. You'll feel like you've made a bad decision. You've not gone in the right direction. You've not put forth all the effort you should have. And if those are all the cases, then maybe you own it up to it. You're going to have to own it. But don't live with regret your whole life. It'll eat you up. So face the reality. The past is in the past. No do-overs. Stop living in the past. Rather, address the present. Stop wishing. Start working. Stop comparing yourself with others. Number four, realize you're not alone. You know, I, I, I give a story like that, and somebody says, I can't believe he just told us that. He's supposed to be running the church finances. <laughs> I got a feeling there may be a few other people that have made some bad financial choices in the past. I bet you I'm not the only one that regrets some of the purchases I've made. You get where I'm going with this? Let me tell you something. We all have regrets. I'm sure that we've all said something we wish we could take back. 
We've all done something that we don't, we're not proud of. Man, I regret. Hold on. I want you to know you're not alone. You aren't alone. You say, why is that important in overcoming regret? Because I think it's important you realize you're not the only one. Hey, listen, um, the truth is, you're not the first, you won't be the last. But you better use your regrets to motivate you to a brighter future, a better future. Don't just waller in that regret. Step out, as we said today. Start working today to change those things. You can't change the past, but you can change the present and the future. Number five, choose to be happy. We're dealing again and talking about overcoming regret. Choose to be happy. Again, we noted a number of people earlier on in the message uh, that had been surveyed, and one of the things they said is that they wished that they had been happier and enjoyed life more. Do you realize that happiness is a choice? You choose to be happier. Now you say, no, I don't. If you had to live with who I live with, you would realize, I know, go ahead and get angry, get upset, do whatever you want, but in the end, it'll be your decision, and you, like these people, will lay on your deathbed and say, I sure wish I'd have chosen to be more happy. I wish I wouldn't have let that bad situation overshadow my whole life. I wish I wouldn't have permitted it to drown me in sorrow. I wish I wouldn't have allowed it to keep me or hold me back. I wish, I wish, I wish. Those are regrets. Choose to be happy. You can choose to let it beat you up. You can allow that bad decision to punish you for a lifetime. You can allow the fact that you didn't achieve what you thought you were capable of to continue to eat at you constantly. But you know what? That regret will not change a thing. Change what you can, and that begins today. Choose to be happy. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Turn there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It truly is a choice, because happiness is in the mind. Watch what the Bible teaches about the mind. It's funny, people will say, well, the Bible's antiquated, it's outdated, it's not very practical. <laughs> Pretty practical, watch what it says. Uh, you can go ahead and pay about $150 an hour to go to a psychologist, or you could read this passage and follow it, and it'll save you a lot of trouble. Now, I'm not saying don't go to a therapist, you probably need one. But watch what it says, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. you got to rein your thoughts in. You can't allow them to run rampant. You can't allow them to control you. you got to control them. You got to bring them into captivity. Well, I'll tell you what, we allow our thoughts to consume us. We allow our thoughts to rule us. And we are all prone to this. This is nothing new either. But we have to overcome those things. We got to get, uh, we got to get a handle on those emotions. We got to get a handle on those regrets. We got to get a handle on those things that are haunting us. We've got to bring them into captivity. We can't let our mind run free. We got to rein it in, bring it into captivity. Hey, listen, we choose to be happy. 
If you're unhappy today, it's because you're allowing yourself to be unhappy. You're allowing that. You say, it's not my fault. There are things that have happened to you, me, and every one of us in the room that we could say make us unhappy. But if you choose to continue in that direction, you do not change your attitude, then my friend, at some point, you have to take responsibility for the unhappiness. You're going to go through loss in your life. You're going to deal with problems in your life. But sooner or later, you've got to bring those thoughts into captivity. I'm not saying you don't miss loved ones. I'm not saying that you don't go through heartache. I'm not telling you that it's not going to be easy, that it's going to be easy. What I'm telling you is you have to choose to be happy if you're going to be happy. At some point, you've got to bring it into captivity. You've got to rein it in. Listen, you lose a loved one, and let me tell you, for a couple of years, many times, it's at least two years, there's this, just this cloud of despair that weighs over you, this looms over you. And people say, I just can't seem to get past it. It takes time, I understand, but you have to work at it. You've got to continue to tell yourself things. Instead of listening to yourself, you have to talk to yourself. But I, I just feel like you're listening. Stop listening. Start talking to yourself. Get in the word of God and claim some promises. And when you start thinking the wrong thoughts, then quote the scriptures. God is bigger than your problem. God's bigger than your loss. God can bring you a comfort when you don't feel he could. You have to tell yourself that. You can't continue to listen to yourself and be totally and completely miserable and unhappy because now you're taking others with you sooner or later. I'm not talking about a month after you've lost them, but I'm talking about people that for years and years and years and years and years, folks that have lost a loved one and never come back to church, why? Because they can't get over the loss. What is wrong with that? Talk to yourself. Quit listening. God has bigger things for you than misery and sorrow and regret. Choose to be happy. Okay, so we talk about and we've addressed Overcoming. Now, let me tell you how to avoid regret. And I got to move quickly. Here it is. Number one, keep your priorities straight. You want to avoid regret? Keep your priorities straight. You say, what do you mean? Keep the first things first. Can I tell you the first thing in your life ought to be your relationship with God? I'm telling you, we have got that all mixed up even in the Christian life. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school, if you were there, in the adult classes, that is. We learned today how important it is that we not only have the right theology, but we have the right priorities and the right lifestyle. We have to live our theology. We have to walk in the Spirit. We have to live our life according to the Word of God. God is our God, and therefore, we are part of His family, and we ought to look like the sons of God, act like the sons of God, and live like the sons of God. We ought to represent Daddy well. And we have to start with God. He, we have no life without God. You say, well, it's my family first. Well, God gave you the family. Go ahead and put Him second and see what can happen to the family. We're seeing it in our country today. We're watching it all around us in the church. We're seeing people who have gone and got their priorities mixed up, and then they have regrets the rest of their days. They watch their kids run out into the world and live for the devil, all because they chose to not put God first, but put family first. You say, I don't like that talk. You don't have to like it. I'm telling you, read it, study it, and find out what God has to say. But I'll tell you one thing. He says, we're to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. Let me tell you what, that puts it pretty plain and clear. It starts with God. 
Then you can move on to that family. And then I'm going to give you another one that's going to kick you in the teeth. You go from God to family to ministry. Then your job. Oh, I don't agree with that. You don't have to agree. I told you that. You don't have to. I'll preach the truth. Don't get mad at me for preaching the truth. And I won't get mad at you for disobeying it. Okay? But I promise you this. Put your job ahead of God's house and ahead of God's plan in the, church, the local church, the thing that he died for, that he gave his life for, and see how that affects your family. Well, we go to church when we can. Okay. Well, then maybe God will answer prayer when he can. Maybe God will show up when you need him most when he can. I guarantee if one of your children's in an accident and they're headed to the hospital, emergency flight, you're praying and begging God to step up and be first. We better start doing that before he gets on that flight instead of waiting till he's on the flight. It's amazing how we expect God to jump when we snap our fingers. I thought he was the father. We're simply the children. I wonder in your home when you, your kids snap their fingers, you come running daddy, you come running mama, yes, what, what can I do for you? Did you clean your room? No, I want ice cream. Yes, sir. Is that good enough? I want chocolate syrup. Is that enough? I want more. Is that how you function? But we expect God to do that for us. I'm telling you, when your priorities are out of, out of order, you know what, I'm, I guarantee you this, you'll have regrets in your life. You want to avoid regret? Keep your priorities straight. God, family, ministry, job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, don't hold grudges. Don't hold grudges. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, can I tell you that probably, probably 35 to 40% of all the problems we have in life is because we can't forgive people? It may even be more than that. I don't have any statistics to back it up, but I know dealing in my office and helping people through problems, forgiveness is something they really have a hard time doing. You know what? We're human, and all of us, all of us to some degree or another, feel like we deserve something. You deserve you deserve respect. Don't let anybody tell you you don't. You deserve somebody to show you compassion. Don't ever accept anything less. You deserve, and we've learned it, and we believe it. We've been told that since the time we're young. But I'm going to tell you as a believer, we deserve nothing but hell. And I'm going to tell you something. You go ahead and mark my words. You may not appreciate what somebody did to you, but you will regret on your deathbed not forgiving them and allowing it to wreck and ruin relationships and your future. Well, they deserve, I don't care what they deserve, they may very well deserve what they haven't gotten yet even, but it's not for you. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't hold grudges, forgive, or you will have multiple regrets in your life. The most miserable people I know are people who have been unable to forgive those who have hurt them. 
I'm talking about in the most horrible situations, people they could not forgive have gone to their grave, eaten up like cancer inside with bitterness and hatred and anger. And what's wrong with you? Well, you just don't know what happened to me. You don't know what they did. Don't care what they did. You're the one that's paying for it right now. Not only did they do that to you then, but they continue to haunt you today. You better learn to forgive. God's not telling you to do this because he just wants to see you suffer. He wants to deliver you. Don't hold grudges, but forgive. Number three, keep your priorities straight. Don't hold grudges, but forgive. Keep short accounts with others. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about this idea in James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice, confess your faults one to another. Keep short accounts with others. Confess your faults. If there's issues, if there's something you've done, if there's a portion of the situation that you have exasperated or created or caused, then at least address that part of it. You can't change the past, but you can do something as of now and moving forward. You pray and you beg God, God, reveal to me what I can do. Oh, God, show me what I can do. If you want me to do something, I'll do it. Otherwise, I'll do nothing for the moment. I'm waiting on you, but I want to be obedient, and I want to have no regrets. We settle for a life of only partial obedience, and we only forgive partially, and we only confess partially, and we expect full benefit. In Matthew 5, 23, it's interesting because sometimes we think, well, confess my faults, but hold on, listen to this one. This one's great. This one's one of the ones that just drove me nuts and continues to it from time to time. Listen to what it says, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, you're coming to the altar with a gift. You're coming to God, whether it be with a prayer or with an offering or something good toward God. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest, at the altar you remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Wait a second. Thy brother hath ought against me. I'm at the altar doing something for God. I'm trying to be a good Christian, but now I remember they have ought against me for something. You say, well, what if it's fake? What if I never did it? What if you, none of us want to believe we ever did anything wrong to anybody else. But he's not going to give us the pass. If in your mind you know somebody has ought against you and you're trying to go bring a gift to the altar, my friend, the Bible says here in this passage, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Yeah, I know the implication is that you had done something and now you've been brought to remembrance that you did that and you hurt them or harmed them or you said something or did something that was inappropriate. I understand that. But I believe too, if you are aware of the fact that somebody harbors a feeling towards you and you've never addressed it, you've never dealt with it, you haven't tried to go correct it, you haven't sought to reconcile that relationship, you need to do that. Because see, the fact is today is that our relationship with God, more than you'll ever know, more than I'll probably ever know, is more dependent on our relationship than others than we'll ever figure out. I'm telling you, you cannot harbor bitterness against a brother or sister. You can't harbor hatred in your heart toward another. I'm telling you, this idea that I don't like that person in the church, they're jerks. Let me tell you something, friend. Your relationship with God is pitiful. Oh, you don't know. I tithe, and I come to all the services, and I go out soul winning. My friend, you're a hypocrite in your heart. 
I don't like that person. They're a jerk. I can't stand them. I don't like them at all. You just won't say the word, but you think it. I'm telling you, it's pitiful when believers can't get along. We're supposed to have God living in us. I can't even get along with them. I don't want to even talk to them. I'll just stay away from them. What is your problem? You have the spiritual problem, friend. I don't like that. That's all right. You don't have to like it. I'm telling you right now, God isn't as concerned about whether you like what he says as he is about trying to help you overcome problems in your life. You obey God, you will not have regret, but I promise you, you will have regrets if you don't do things God's way. It's funny how we are, isn't it? I did my best. I'm not, I have no regrets. But did you do your best the way God told you to? Can I tell you there's coming a day, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, when it won't matter what you think about your own effort. When it won't matter what even others think about your effort. All that will matter is what God thinks about your effort. Number four, number one, keep your priorities straight. Don't hold grudges, forgive. Keep, your short, keep short accounts with others, confess. And then finally, number, uh, not finally, but number four, tame your tongue. Show restraint in your life. Tame your tongue. How many of us would just blanket the room right now? All of us have said something that we'd like to take back. That old tongue puts us in a world of hurt, and it hurts a lot of people. What's the Bible say? You find a man that controls his tongue, he's a perfect man. Do you know the only person that ever truly controlled their tongue on earth was Jesus? Because, see, he's the only perfect man. But we shouldn't stop striving to reach that point of perfection. The Bible says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You sprinkle salt on something, why? To make it palatable, to make it easier to go down. Man, I, I love it. You pile the salt on. I like salt. I like Parmesan cheese, too. But anyway, I like salt. Put the salt on that thing. Man, I'm telling you what makes it good. And I know some of you, oh, that salt's bad for your cholesterol. That salt's bad for this. It's bad. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like when I was in the Army about a few years ago. <laughs> they said, pile the salt on. You're getting cramps. Pile the salt on. It'll help you retain water. It'll help your cramps. And it did. They'd even say, take a spoonful of it if you have to. I just buried my face in a bag of it. <laughs> Oorah! Man, that helped. Wait a second. And then all of a sudden, the doctor said, you can't eat salt. Salt's bad for you. My wife said, we got to start backing off the salt. No, don't back off the salt. Keep the salt flowing. You don't want to put people out of work. <laughs> and all of a sudden, now it's okay to have some salt. It's crazy how that works. All I know is, is that God said a long time ago, let your speech be all with your grace, seasoned with salt. When we speak, it ought to be easy to the ears and ought to go down easy. People shouldn't have to choke down what we say. Finally, let me just close with this. Finally, obey God. You want to avoid regret in your life? 
then keep your priorities straight. Don't hold grudges. Keep short accounts with others. Tame your tongue and obey God. Obey God. Man, we forfeit the love, the joy, the peace that he provides. And, and, and we do that because we fail to obey God. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And he says those are things that you can have if you walk in the Spirit, if you allow the Holy Spirit to control you instead of the flesh. And I'm telling you, he says, you don't have to have regrets in that regard. We forfeit that love and joy and peace when we fail to obey him. And not only is obedience a blessing in this earth, but it also provides a wonderful dividend in the future and the hereafter. Again, we've already talked about it. We mentioned it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or, or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. We're hearing and learning about this thing called the judgment seat of Christ. Every child of God is going to be brought before the Lord Jesus and given account for their life, not their sin. That's been addressed and dealt with on Calvary. I understand that. But we are going to face the Lord Jesus Christ as we talked about in Sunday school. And by the way, you can do your best at whatever you choose to do. But if you fail to follow God's guidance and his plan for your life, you are going to know nothing but regret in the end. I coach that football team and I have no regrets. I put in the time, I put in the effort, I worked in the evenings, I made sure that everything was in order. I, you know what? Good for you. Now I miss church and I, I stopped reading my Bible and I stopped praying and I stopped obeying the Lord. And, you know, I mean, I didn't do any of the things God wanted me to do, but boy, I have no regrets about that team. Well, I'm glad you have no regrets about the team, but my friend, when you stand before Jesus Christ, I promise you, you'll have a real debt of re regret on your shoulders. It's going to be horrible. You say, ah, you're just trying to scare us. Oh, whatever. See, you're going to regret disrespect, uh, disregarding God's God-given God roles in your lives. He's got some God-given roles. You'd go ahead and disregard them. You'll regret it. You're going to regret not striving for holiness each day of your life. So am I. We're going, to, we're going to regret that. We're going to regret the lack of effort directed toward our walk and relationship with God. We're going to regret not caring for those for whom Jesus died, lost souls. We are going to regret not spending more time in God's house. We're going to regret serving only when it was convenient in our life. We're going to regret not taking the time to have family worship or devotions. We're going to regret not spending our lives building a legacy of faith. We're going to regret not continuously instilling the faith in the lives of our children. In 1904, William Borden, heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from a Chicago high school. When he graduated, he was heir to millions and millions of dollars. His parents gave him a trip around the world. Young people settle for nothing less. <laughs> now that my kids are graduated... Hold your parents' feet to the fire. <laughs> so his parents gave him a trip around the world. And traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and even in Europe, along the way, Borden got a burden for those hurting in the world. He saw the brokenness, and he saw the need, and he recognized their godlessness. Writing home, he said, I'm going to give my life to preparing for the mission field. When he made that decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. Turning down a high-paying job 
after graduation from Yale University and a number of other offers that came as a result of his education. He wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. No reserves. I just said that one. No reserves, and he wrote down, no retreats. Woo. No retreats. Then he completed his studies at Princeton Seminary. Not only did he do those years at Yale, but now he goes to Princeton, Princeton for the sake of studying for the ministry. He prepares all those years. And once he completed that, he set sail for China. I mean, he had a desire to reach the Muslims for Christ. He was prepared and ready to give his life to the mission field. Along the way, he stopped at Egypt for some preparation and final readiness. And while he was there in Egypt, before he ever arrived in China, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis, and he died within a month. A waste, you say? Not in God's plan, it wasn't. We're still talking about him today. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written these words, no regrets. I wonder. When the Lord returns or we close our eyes in death, will we be able to say no regrets? I know we've already lived life and we may have created some problems already, but my friend, let me tell you, start where you are today. Get working today. Take the steps you need to so that from this day forward you have no regrets. Never settle for regrets in your life. Never settle for regrets. The Apostle Paul said this as we close, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. May God help us to do the same. The biggest regret you'll ever make is not receiving and accepting Christ as your Savior, though. Do you know that 2,000 years ago, he literally hung on the cross, nails in his hands, his feet? You know why? Two words. For you. He knew that you would never be able to earn God's favor in yourself. Because like me, you're just a sinner. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to turn over a new leaf. A sinner's what you are, not what you became. And so Jesus said, I'll take his place. I'll take her place. I'll die in their stead. And 2,000 years ago, he walked this earth a perfect, sinless Savior, never sinning once. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He took our place on the cross and died in our place. We deserve to die because of our sin. He was perfect and sinless. He never deserved to die, but he did. He died for you. Question, will you allow what he did for you to be in vain? Or will you take full opportunity today and accept and receive him? I want to encourage you to trust Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you call on him and ask him to forgive you and save you? Recognizing yourself the sinner you are 
and him the Savior that's perfect and sinless and that died in your place. Lord, I need you. I'm such a sinner. I believe you died for me and rose again. I asked you to come into my heart and save me, forgive my sin. I'm trusting you to save me and to forgive me, only you. I mean, will you have the willingness or do you have the desire to trust him today? I'm telling you, he'll accept you if you'll just call on him. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. Never settle for regrets. Overcome your regrets. Avoid regret. Never settle. Father, we come to you. We ask that you just bless us today, encourage us from your word. We thank you again for all you do for us. Lord, we ask that you would now take just a few moments, Lord, and speak to our hearts. We ask that the word of God has already penetrated and started doing a work, but now, Lord, may you culminate that work through this power of the Holy Spirit, bring conviction in a life. Help us, Lord, as believers, Father, to, to, to get on board with this issue of, of regret, to, to never settle for regret in our life, but to turn to you. Yes, Lord, we all have those regrets, and it's normal. However, we can't allow them to paralyze us or to keep us from moving forward or accomplishing what you have for us or to hold us back and keep us discouraged and down. Oh, Lord, help us to overcome our regret and help us to avoid regret and start where we are today, working to become everything you'd have us to be. We love you. We thank you. Be with those that are lost. May they come to Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed.